we're going to have to improvise. If you can hear the music next door, we're going to have to really concentrate on the Lord, if that's what we're wanting to do. Because um, apparently uh, it shouldn't surprise us, but we already know uh, that the enemy has no respect for the things of God. So, um, you know, we, we, we continue to move forward, right? And knowing at the same time that God's trying to test our patience. He's trying to test our attention span and everything else put on in there. Because anytime there's something that rubs us the wrong way, we can be sure that God wants to do something uh, within us. And also before, uh, before uh, we get actually started, and can you, can you hear me okay with, with that? Yeah, back there, okay. Before we get started, I always forget to announce things. I'm, I'm the kind of person, I get in the zone and I go and I just move forward and I do this and that. But I've been meaning to just announce that if, there, if there's anybody that wants to help in any way, shape, or form in any ministry, let us know. Um, it, it, again, we do need help. I'm not trying to be a, a one-man show. We do need help. Let us know afterwards. Let me or Norma know. Just say, hey, yeah, I want to uh, this area or I don't know where, but I want to. I mean, whether it be uh, cleaning the church or uh, with the kids or uh, you name it. I mean, we, we can use help always. And so um, I just want to announce that because I forget. And I know some people, you know, may want to. I know for me, when I went to uh, one of the previous churches, I didn't necessarily ask. I was waiting for them to ask me. And come to find out, the pastor was doing the same thing. He didn't want to ask people, but he was waiting for somebody to come and ask him. So for whatever sake, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, if anybody wants to do that, just let us know after, after service. So tonight we're going to be in the second half of the what's called the canon of Scripture. Right? The the doctrine of the canon of Scripture, the teaching of the canon of Scripture. We did the Old Testament last week, and we're going to start with the New Testament this week. And, you know, throughout all of this, you're probably going to hear me repeat myself about a lot of things. And if I repeat them, it's because I myself, right, not uh, anybody else, but I myself think there's an extreme importance to it. And so one of the reasons that my heart is moved to to learning this and I would say at that some of these things are going to be kind of maybe kind of dull it may be hard to grasp everything it may be kind of repetitive just uh, bear with this because I promise you if you're paying attention as we're going closer to the end everything's going to start coming together right right now we're building a foundation and then we're going to start building on top of that foundation. So right now we're setting down the foundation. First, right, we did the Word of God, and now, um, okay, what exactly is it? And, and we're going to keep going there. And uh, so, so bear with me, because the, the whole reason that, that, that I was led to move in this direction, yes, it's so that the church can understand and have more knowledge. It is important. 
It is important that we that we uh, that we acknowledge these things. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes one can go off in the avenue of just having a lot of knowledge. And and as I said from the beginning, this is more coming from an offensive point. Right. Think of a football team. You have your defense and your offense. Your defense is just being protective. And, and that's all that they're doing. Right. They're trying to keep anybody from advancing this way. And uh, that's not the main reason that I'm doing it for, though it can serve a purpose. It can be defensive. It can be used in apologetics. But at the same time, uh, if it's only for that, it can lead to arguments and disagreements and endless disputes back and forth. And I would say that that's not why I am attempting to do this with anybody. Uh, as a matter of fact, if we try to have that, there's nothing wrong with having a reasonable conversation. But when you see that that conversation isn't going anywhere, it's time to stop. It's time to stop. And if anything, if we're wise, say, hey, let's pray right now. Let's, why don't we just pray and ask uh, the Holy Spirit of God to show us in which direction. And if I'm wrong, let's pray that he would show me as well. Right. And so uh, that's one of the uh, main reasons. But we see it more offensive. The offensive means that as we're going for we want to progress. Right. We use it so that we can continue to move forward. That's uh, what the offense is. And uh it's more along the lines for you personally, because what I desire me, this is Adam. OK, and I would say that God would desire this as well when we read scripture is that you would become great and mighty thinkers of the word of God. And when you have this right here, this kind of artillery, it'll cause you to think. And you remember back Deuteronomy 6, the, the charge that God gave to his people, right? Uh, uh, meditate on this word. Talk about it. Think about it in the morning when you sit down to eat, in the evening, in, in the midday. And you just continue to think about this word and meditate upon it day and night. Teach it to your children. And so uh, my, my whole point is to equip you, right, so that you can become thinkers, Right. Not so that somebody can come and tell you something that you don't agree with. And right away, you're just going to start saying, no, you're wrong. But if anything, uh, just receive it with a sort of readiness. Go home and meditate upon it. Now, if there's an opportunity to talk with this individual about it, then so be it. But at least that we wouldn't be deceived and led astray. Right. Because most people are set in their ways of believing. OK, uh, most people say, OK, this is what it is. And we've talked about it before. When something is learned, it's really hard to unlearn it. It's going to take a willing heart. It's going to take a willing heart, such as maybe the ones that are here tonight to say, yeah, I want to hear about this. And then there's going to be some things that we're going to have disagreements on. Uh, and we're, we have the liberty to say, I believe this way and you believe that way. And that's still OK. Right. But we have to understand, is it an essential? Is it OK? Is it something that we can agree to disagree or is it something that we can't agree to disagree? We just have to part ways. Right. These are the important things that we're going to try to get out. Uh, from all of this, and I'll probably continue to repeat this as a reminder as we're going, because um, the gates of hell would love any any uh, form of haughtiness to come upon our souls uh, as we're going through this. And this is not for haughtiness, but if it's anything so that we can uh, begin to understand and learn our God more and more. Uh, we have to, as we talked on Sunday, pick up the baton and move forward. As men of God, and, and, you know, it's really important that we sit down with our wives and with our children to have a devotional time with them. It's really important if it's in the morning or in the evening, but sit down, take that time out 
and, and, and have the devotional time. Lead our wives, lead our children, because if our children, uh, throughout the period, uh, the span of one week, if our children listen more about the Word of God from a youth pastor than they do the father, then there's a big problem. And the same thing with the, our spouses. We have to lead them. And if our spouses, throughout the span of a week, hear more from another preacher and learn more from another preacher than learn from their spouses, then there's a problem. So we as men first need to rise up, and then the women need to fall into formation after that, and then the children go from there. So this is one of the reasons why we do it, right? So the New Testament canon We could say that the New Testament, uh, the development of the New Testament canon begins with the writing of the apostles. Okay, and we're going to remember that uh, the writing of Scripture uh, primarily occurs in connection with God's great acts in redemptive history. Okay, so the Old Testament records and interprets, and it's a series of things, the first one being the calling of Abraham and the lives of his descendants. Then it goes on to the exodus from Egypt and the wilderness wanderings. And then the establishment of God's people in the land of Canaan. The establishment of the monarchy. It goes on to the exile and return from captivity, right? They, they were taken captive. Uh, there was a, it was a judgment from God because of their disobedience. And then, of course, it finishes off with the expectation of the Messiah to come, right? The scriptures there, you find it in, in Malachi chapter 3 and 4. And in Sunday's text, we talked about that, right? The Jews, they were waiting a Messiah. They were waiting for one. And so uh, this is exactly what this says here, is that that's how it finished. And then there was 400 or so years of silence. God was not speaking. So the next stage in redemptive history is the coming of the Messiah, and it is uh, not surprising that no further scripture would be written until this next and greatest event in the history of redemption. So Jesus prophesied this empowering to his disciples who were called apostles after the resurrection in John 14, 26. It says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Similarly, Jesus promised further revelation of truth from the Holy Spirit when he told his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So in those verses, the disciples are promised uh, amazing gifts to enable them to write scripture. The Holy Spirit would teach them all things, would cause them to remember all that Jesus had said and would guide them in all of the truth. Now, those who have the office of apostle in the early church are seen to claim an authority equal to that of the Old Testament prophets. Okay, and in your outline, it's uh, number one, an authority to speak and write words that are God's very words. They do this to record, interpret, and apply to the lives of believers with great truths about the life, death, 
and resurrection of Christ. This claim uh, to be able to speak words that were the words of God himself is especially frequent in the writings of the Apostle Paul. He claims not only that the Holy Spirit has revealed to him what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man has conceived, but also that when he declares this revelation, he speaks it in words taught uh, by, in words not taught by human wisdom, but by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things in spiritual words. And then he goes on to say that if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that uh, what Paul is saying and writing to them is a command of the Lord. Now, we'd probably have to say that of the Revelation, uh, I guess aside from the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, the Apostle Paul was abundant in his knowledge of Scripture, abundant in his revelation. And as a matter of fact, because of all that, he had what was called his thorn in the flesh. Now, many people are going to have their debates on what that thorn was. I don't think it really matters what the thorn was more than the reason of why he had the thorn. And the thorn was so that he would not become haughty as we were talking about earlier because he had so much revelation uh, because he talks about and if you notice the way he speaks he says i know a man who at one time whether in the body or out of the body so he doesn't know if it was real or if it was a, a spiritual experience he says he was caught up into the third heaven now he's talking about himself but notice how he he addresses himself as a man rather than me myself and then he goes on to say that the things that, that were seen, uh, they're unspeakable. It's unlawful to speak of them. You can't even do that. And so even when you read a text like that, you begin to wonder because you see all these movies of people who uh, have a dream that they went to heaven or they had a, a, a near-death experience and they go to heaven and they come back and they tell all, right, to Hollywood. And then they make a movie and, and, and all of these things are happening. But yet Paul said the things that, that I saw up there, um, it's unlawful to speak of. So it just kind of makes you wonder, is this legit? Now, you know, this is not to say, uh, hey, this because they did that, they're going to hell or what have you. But see, when you're thinking upon the word of God, you just wonder, is, does this line up with what scripture is saying? Because it, I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't seem like it to me, you know? And then, of course, people that are lacking in maturity just begin to flock to the, to the movies and they begin to build their own ideology, their own doctrine off of a movie that was played in the theaters rather than building their doctrine on what we're doing right here, right? Through scripture. So it would not be surprising, therefore, to find some of the New Testament writings being placed with the Old Testament scriptures as part of the canon scripture. Uh, Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, he said, so also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Speaking of this, as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The apostle Peter here is giving credibility to the apostle Paul. He's, this man right here, he's written to you. And, and the things that he's telling you, uh, they're true. The wisdom that's been given to him by God. 
Now, he does, in fact, say there's some things that are difficult to understand. They're hard. And because they're hard to understand, he says that uh, there's ignorant and, and unstable people. Again, the word's not really bad. We hear it as bad, ignorant, but it just means they're lacking knowledge. Uh, the ignorant and unstable means unstable in the Lord, unstable with wisdom. They're not established. They're not fixed in God or the things of God. They twist them. They twist them to their own destruction. They cause those scriptures to fit their liking and their understanding. Um, we say to their understanding, but the Apostle Peter says to their destruction. Because all they're doing is causing destruction in their own lives. And in the other ones, he says, as they do the other scriptures. These other scriptures that Peter's talking about, it's the Greek word. Uh, I may not be pronouncing it right, but it's a uh, graphe. What it means, it's referring back to the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, when the New Testament talks about the Old Testament scriptures, it uses this Greek word. So Peter's saying they don't just uh, twist these words of Paul, but they're twisting the Old Testament. So it's affirming the Old Testament as part of the canon as well as Paul's words. Because the apostles, by virtue of their apostolic office, had authority to write words of Scripture. And here's number two in your outline. The authentic written teachings of the apostles were accepted by the very early church as part of the canon of Scripture. So they had authority, and it, was, it wasn't from them. It wasn't from any other man uh, that appointed them, but it was by the Spirit of God. Now this brings us to the heart of the question of canonicity. The question, uh, uh, the heart of the question of canonicity. And here we go again, number three and four on your outline. It says, for a book to belong in the canon, it is absolutely necessary that the book have divine authorship. If the words of the book are God's words through human authors, and if the early church, under the direction of the apostles, preserved the book as part of Scripture, then the book belongs in the canon. But if the words of the book are not God's words, it does not belong in the canon. If it doesn't line up uh, consistently with, with what Scripture has written, if it, if it doesn't line up, then it cannot be added as part of Scripture. Remember, we talked about this Apocrypha, that there was some errors in there, and because there was one or two errors, just half of an error is enough to say, no, we cannot include this in the book as being uh, divine. The question of authorship by an apostle is important because it was primarily the apostles to whom Christ gave the ability to write words with absolute divine authority. If a writing can be shown to be by an apostle, then its absolute uh, divine authority is automatically established. Thus, the early church automatically accepted as part of the canon, the written teachings of the apostles, which the apostles wanted preserved as scripture. But the existence of some of the New Testament writings that were 
not authored directly by the apostles shows that there were others in the early church to whom uh, Jesus Christ also gave the ability to. So there was other authors that the Lord approved of through the work of the Holy Spirit to write words that were God's own words and also therefore intended to be part of the canon. For example, would be Mark, uh, Luke, Acts, and uh, perhaps Hebrews and Jude as well. Now, Hebrews, there's always been dispute as the author of Hebrews. Okay, most people say it's unknown. Uh, a lot of theologians say that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the author of the epistle to the Hebrews because of the terminology sounded a lot like Paul's. But when you look at Jude, he doesn't necessarily uh, label himself as uh, the apostle, but as the uh, brother of Jesus Christ. Mark and Luke were also not uh, apostles. It's believed that uh, possibly they became disciples after a while, but Luke actually wrote the book of Acts as well. They were not named of the apostles, but we know that their books are in there. And so, uh, but again, it's consistent with uh, the, the, the word of God. There, there's not that error that one would find in there that would say they're, they're not a part of it, right? A lot of people say because um, Luke was a, a companion of Paul, then he actually knew firsthand a lot of the things that were happening and going on. So it should not surprise us that the early church should have been able to recognize Hebrews and other writings not written by the apostles as God's very words, had not Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. It should not be thought impossible or unlikely, therefore, that the early church would be able to use a combination of factors, including apostolic endorsement, consistency with the rest of Scripture, and the perception of a writing as God breathed on the part of an overwhelming majority of believers to decide that a writing was in fact God's words, though through a human author and therefore worthy of inclusion in the canon. Nor uh, should it be thought unlikely that the church would be able to use this process over a period of time as writings were circulated to various parts of the early church and finally to come to a completely correct decision without excluding any writings that were in fact God-breathed and without including any that were not. Again, a, a lot of this may seem like I don't need to know all of this. But what it's doing is forming an establishment of how uh, all of this came to be. And how it came into existence. The Old Testament canon. The New Testament canon. Why what does it matter? Well, because if we're going to believe in it, we have to know that it's authentic. That it's true. That and, and in order for us to believe it, right? In A.D. 367... Uh, the 39th Paschal letter of Athanasius contained an exact list of 27 New Testament books that we have today. So they went that far back, right? Um, and then in this letter of Athanasius from 367 AD, 
was the exact same book, uh, a list of books that we have today. Okay, so right there, okay, we're on the right track. Uh, this was the list of books accepted by the churches in the eastern part of the Mediterranean world. Thirty years later, in A.D. 397, at the Council of Carthage, representing the churches in the western part of the Mediterranean world, um, agreed with the eastern churches on the same list. These are the earliest final lists of our present day canon. So they came together at this council and they said the East has these books here. And so us here in the West, we're going to recognize these books as well as being part of the canon. So with all of that being said, should we expect any more writings to be added to the canon? Is there going to be any more letters that we would put to the canon? The opening sentence in Hebrews puts this question in the proper historical perspective, the perspective of the history of redemption. Remember last week uh, we uh, saw Hebrews chapter 1 says, In many and various ways God spoke uh, of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in the last days He has spoken to us by a Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So he spoke to us through Jesus. He spoke to us through his him being uh, the word, the contrast between the former speaking of old by the prophets and the recent speaking in these last days suggests that God's speech to us by his son is the culmination of his speaking to mankind. And in his greatest and final revelation to mankind in this period of redemptive history. The exceptional greatness of the revelation that comes through the Son, far exceeding any revelation in the Old Covenant, is emphasized again and again throughout chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews. These facts all indicate that there is a finality to the revelation of God in Christ and that once this revelation has been completed, number five in your outline, no more is to be expected. So there's no more epistles, there's no more books, there's no more editions that we are to look for as being part of the canon. Uh, through these 66 or through these books here, we have everything that we need to obtain salvation everything that we need to, to live a life of godliness in Christ Jesus. We're equipped with everything right here. But where do we learn about this revelation through Christ? The New Testament writings contain the final authoritative and sufficient interpretation of Christ's work of redemption. The apostles and their close companions report Christ's words and deeds and interpret them with absolute divine authority. When they have finished their writing, there is no more to be added with the same absolute divine authority. Thus, once the writings of the New Testament apostles and their authorized companions are completed, we have in written form the final record of everything that God wants us to know about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and its meaning for the lives of believers for all time. Since 
This is God's greatest revelation for mankind. No more is to be expected. Once this is complete, in this way, then Hebrews chapter 1 shows us why no more writings can be added to the Bible after the time of the New Testament. But just as Genesis must be placed first, for it tells us of creation, so Revelation must be placed last, for it focuses, for its focus is to tell us of the future and God's new creation. And the canon is now closed. So basically, Genesis tells us that God created everything. And at the end of it, Revelation is telling us how God is recreating the new heavens, the new earth. And he's going to restart everything over. And we could say that it is divinely inspired for that reason. It opens and closes. We have it in that uh, in that manner. And... Uh, Roy brought up a good point to me today that a lot of you may not know that this book isn't in what's called chronological order. Chronological order means in order of the date that it was written. This, the way we have it is, is not in chronological order. Uh, but again, the, the chrono chronology of it doesn't necessarily, it's not going to hurt our, um, it, it's not going to, it's not going to keep us back. From, from being able to obtain what we need in the Lord. But, but chronological, for example, the book of Job is one of the oldest books out there. And the book of Job probably gives notion to the dinosaurs and whatnot. So you can look back. It was way before, probably right around the time or shortly before the time of Moses. So this, the book of Job goes far, even though it's further this way in the book. Okay. So Revelations chapter 22, verses 18 through 19 also suggest to us that we should expect no more scripture to be added beyond what we already have. And that scripture says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away from his part of the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Now, it's important to note that this scripture is actually talking about the book of Revelation, what Paul saw. But if it applies to that, how much more to the rest of scripture, right? To not add to it or to not take away. But remember, if, uh, if we don't understand the authenticity of words, then we're going to lack some of the things that God wants us to know. That's why we want to know what is part of the scripture or it's going to add to it. Like if we start picking up the book of Enoch or uh, the, the gospel of Thomas, remember that Jesus said he was going to take Mary and make her a, a man because women weren't worthy to live. And I don't remember it verbatim, but remember that foolishness that we read last week. And so people are going to start doing foolish things, things they don't have to, or they're going to be eliminating things that they should be doing. And so for that reason, uh, we uh, take heed to what Revelation says. So how do we know what we now possess are the right books? How are we certain? 
course, we read earlier about the councils coming together and deciding that. But there's two reasons that we uh, would probably use as our greatest foundation. And the first one, and it's going to be number six in your outline, is our confidence is based on the faithfulness of God. That's how we know that what we have are the right ones. Now, for these past 2,000 years, if after the first 200 years somebody added to it, and then 800 years later somebody took away from it, and then another 1,000 years later somebody added to it, then you could see something unstable there. But for the past 2,000 years, this thing has been consistent. And so that's how we can know that it is based on the faithfulness of God. We know that God loves His people, and it is supremely important that God's people have His own words, for they are our life. They're more precious, more important to us than anything else in this world. We also know that God our Father is in control of all history, and that He is not the kind of Father who will trick us or fail to be faithful to us or keep from us something that we absolutely need. That's true. That's amen right there, right? He, how is he not going to give us, if he expects us to live a certain way, how is he not going to give us what we need so that we can live there? Because if he didn't, then you could say we would have an excuse. And we'd say, well, God, I didn't know because it's not in the book, right? But it's there. Why? Because of God's faithfulness. If he's going to hold us to it, he's going to give us what we need so that there would not be any excuses. Just as God was at work in creation, in the calling of his people Israel, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and in the early work and writings of the apostles, so God was at work in the preservation and assembling together of the books of Scripture for the benefit of his people for the entire church age. And the second reason that we know that what we have are the right books is that we might wish to focus on the process by which we become persuaded of the books that we have. Now in the canon are the right ones. Now in that process alone, there's two factors. The activity of the Holy Spirit convincing us as we read Scripture for ourselves and the historical data that we have available for our consideration. And we'll look at those two things. But the historical data, so we can look in history and see, yep, it lines up, it lines up, and lines up. But we can even go beyond that and know that the activity, the Holy Spirit residing inside of us bears witness. Yeah, this is lining up with everything else that is there. As we read Scripture, the Holy Spirit works to convince us that the books we have in Scripture are all from God and are His words to us. It has been the testimony of Christians throughout the ages that as they read the books of the Bible, the words of Scripture speak to their hearts as no other books do. I'll amen twice to that one, right? We can read this, this uh, word that is living and active, and it just speaks to us at times even to the point of tears. Yeah. 
Day after day, year after year, Christians find that the words of the Bible are indeed the words of God, speaking to them with an authority, a power, and a persuasiveness that no other writings possess. Truly, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and the discern, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oftentimes we can read this book and it's as if this book knows exactly what we're going through because what we're reading is just confirming it. It's speaking to us. It's comforting us. Sometimes this book uh, rebukes us. Again, we've, I've said before that many people come to salvation. You've heard of testimonies of people that say, I was about to commit suicide. And then all of a sudden I reached in the drawer in the motel room and there was a Gideon's Bible and I started to read it and I came to salvation through this because uh, this word that's living and active, again, it does. God doesn't necessarily need us, but his word alone can do sometimes the ministering that we fail to do to people. A thorough investigation of the historical circumstances surrounding the assembling of the canon is helpful in confirming our conviction that the decisions made by the early church were correct decisions. Of those writings that some in the early church wanted to include in the canon, it is safe to say that there are none that present-day evangelicals would want to include. So as we look back in history, the halls of history, the early church said, no, we're not going to add this book. And even today, if you have sound biblical teachers or, or preachers or pastors, they're not even trying to add those books in, right? Because they also recognize there is nothing there that we need uh, for that book to be added. So there's another reason why we say, yeah, we have what we need. We're equipped with everything that we could have. At this point, someone may ask a what if, because there's always those skeptics with the what if questions, right? Okay, but what if? So someone may ask a what if question about what we should do if another one of Paul's epistles were discovered, for example. Would we add it to scripture? So here comes that person. Yeah, we have everything we need. We've just been learning systematic theology. We just broke down the word of God, the canon of scripture. And then they say, so what if Paul wrote a letter and they find it next month? They start digging up somewhere in, in Jerusalem and Israel. And then, hey, we pulled up uh, some letters of Paul, right? Somebody, somebody, it would be like somebody to come up with that question, right? Would we add it to scripture? Uh, this is a difficult question because two conflicting considerations are involved. On the one hand, if a great majority of believers were convinced that this was indeed authentic, an, an authentic Pauline epistle written in the course of Paul's fulfillment of his apostolic office, then the nature of Paul's apostolic authority would guarantee that the writing would be God's very words as well as Paul's and that its teachings would be consistent with the rest of Scripture. But the fact that it was not preserved as part of the canon would indicate that it was not among the writings of the apostles wanted 
the church to preserve as part of Scripture. So in other words, if God wanted that letter to be in there, guess what? God would have caused it to be found a long time ago. So in other words, even if it's Paul's words, even if they were God-breathed, even if they have all the checks in there, we still don't need it. Why? Yeah, it could be God. It's authorized, signed, sealed, delivered, but we already have everything that we need. So that would be our answer to that what-if question. So in conclusion, are there any books in our present canon that should not be there? Is there any of them? No. We can rest our confidence in this fact, in the faithfulness of God, our Father, who would not lead all his people for nearly 2,000 years to trust as his word something that is not. And we find our confidence repeatedly confirmed both by historical investigation and by the work of the Holy Spirit in enabling us to hear God's voice in a unique way as we read from every one of the 66 books in our present canon of Scripture. And I might have said 60 books earlier if I did. Pardon me, it's my mistake. It's 66. You know what? Honestly, when I get up here, the words don't come out the way that when I have them in here, you know, and so it's it's you know it, when you get up here, you realize what uh, it, it's not. It's not an easy thing, right? Uh, you're trying to think of what you're saying and what you want to say. You know, and you're trying to get it up. Not to mention, and I'm not making an excuse, but ever since I had that virus, I know what I want to say, but it's just difficult to get it out. Can you agree? Yeah. It's difficult. And matter of fact, if, if anybody desires to pray for me, pray in that area, you know, that uh, that that I would be able to overcome that. It, it is frustrating. It's frustrating, especially when you know what you want to say, but you cannot get it out. I'm not a man of articulate words. I'm not. I don't have articulate words. Uh, I'm definitely not going to use flattering or pompous words, but I'm going to speak my heart. Uh, if I can be honest with you, um, this isn't necessarily what I wanted to be doing. And I know that that might sound wrong, but I'm just being honest with you. I mean, it would be much easier for me to be at home on a Wednesday or attending a service somewhere else and letting somebody lead it. It's not an easy thing. But there is people who have to do it. Now, I'm not doing it for personal gain. I'm not doing it for a name. I don't care that people call me pastor. I've said times before, call me brother. It doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to me. Uh, I'm not doing it so that people can elevate the name of this establishment. But what I'm trying to do is to somehow, in this uneducated mind of mine, relay the truth of this gospel that transforms the life of people that are spiritually dead. I'm trying to relay that message I'm trying to relay the message of hope, right? The hope that is here. And that if we can understand a little bit more of the fullness of this, then we can apply it in our lives. And we don't have to have lives that are ruined or destroyed or, or full of hardship because the majority of Christians who are going through things, it's not even Satan himself. I would have to say, I'm sorry, but it is their own uh, lust that drives them, their own flesh and their own uh, carnal desires that lead them astray and put them in 
that situation. Now, I'm guilty of it, too. But the important thing of it is that we would abide in Christ, that we would follow him. Right. And, and, and as we read scripture, we start to realize that, wow, this scripture actually balances this scripture. And then this scripture balances over here. But if we're not familiar with scripture, we don't see it. Now, it's not a matter of just reading it once, but daily. That's why we go back and we read some of it. And then we read some more. And, and as we're chewing, we begin to understand, oh, I get it now, right? Or you hear somebody else preaching, another preacher, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, wait, I get it now, right? Sometimes you've read a scripture 10 times, uh, over and over and over, and I don't see nothing. And then one day it's like, bam, the light comes on us. Oh, I got it, right? That's the revelation of Christ that opens up that avenue. You know, I'll never forget. I'll never forget hearing Paul Washer, right? Most of you know who Paul Washer is. And he said he went and preached at a church, and there was this big, tough cowboy guy. And he just said, came up to him afterwards and said, I don't get it. I don't get it. And so he recited John 3.16 and he said, look, I, I, I hear you. I see it here. I don't get it. He said he sat there with him and just they went over it and they went over it and they went over it till this big, huge cowboy just it, the light came on and he said, I get it. I get it. And he said, I'm saved. And this big cowboy began to weep and he began to realize that now this word that's living and active became living to him. Right. But again, uh, we it's that persistence. Sometimes it's that wrestling with God. Right. Wrestling, saying, I'm, I'm not going to get up from here until I uh, maybe have some understanding more. Right. I'm, I'm not going to get up because we will. We'll get up. I mean, have we ever tried God at that? I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go to work. I'm, I'm going to call in. I'm going to find out before the day's over more understanding on this scripture. Now, I mean, it's, it's a tough choice, right? But how bad do we desire to grow deeper in the things of God? I mean, it, it's, it's something that, you know, this thing, like I said, we pass by it a thousand times a day and it's, Whatever. I'm guilty of it, too. But when we know that it's a life giving source, then it's right there. And all we have to do is, is go to it. So saying all that to say this, I don't have and sometimes I, I may make a mistake and say something else. And hey, feel free to tell me afterwards. Hey, I think you meant to say this, but you said that. Thank you for telling me. And I'm not proud enough to come up here and correct and say, I said this wrong. Okay, that's what we should do, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody should get upset and say, well, who are you to tell me? No, no, no. Thank you for showing me. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said that wrong. Um, I mean, that's what we're here. We're brethren. We're part of the same family. I mean, if I was talking to you and you had a big piece of black pepper in your teeth, I'm going to say, hey, brother, sister, you got a, a piece. You might want to patrol the teeth, you know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. There, that's what you do for somebody that you care about. So is there any uh, missing books? Did we, did we cover that already? The whole? No, there's not. Okay. Uh, in all known literature, there are no candidates that even come close to Scripture when consideration is given both to their doctrinal consistency, okay, their teaching, their consistency to be able to teach with the rest of Scripture. 
and to the type of authority they claim for themselves, as well as the way those claims of authority have been received by other believers. Once again, God's faithfulness to His people convinces us that there is nothing missing from Scripture that God thinks we need to know. Number seven uh, in your outline, God thinks uh, we need to know for obeying and trusting Him fully. There's nothing there missing that would cause us to not obey Him and trust Him fully. So the question is, what are we waiting for? To obey Him and trust Him fully. The canon of Scripture today is exactly what God wanted it to be. And it will stay that way until the return of Jesus Christ. Again, if you would have asked, if you would have told me 12 years ago, uh, let alone to be standing up front talking to people, but if anybody would have even told me, you're going to be serving the Lord, you're going to give your life to God, I probably would have laughed in their face and scorned. I'm not going to serve God. I, 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 say, I would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Yeah, you can pray for me. But that wasn't my, my go-to Preacher, I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm not, I'm not even going to be a brother, right? Because that's what we used to call them, los hermanos. Ahí vienen los hermanos, las hermanas, right? They're holy. Uh, we don't want to come around, but let the prayer meeting be over. And yeah, we'll show up for the leftovers, right? We would show up to, to, to be those little scavengers. But I know one thing. I don't have all the answers, but God does. I may not always be able to, to precisely give you the answer that you're looking for. But I know one thing, I can relate to your situations in life. Again, I wasn't, I'm not a man who was born with this Bible in my hand. I didn't carry it underneath my shoulder. So as what people would say, born with a silver spoon in their mouth, I wasn't born with the gospel in my mouth. My dad was a heroin addict. Okay, my mom struggled to make it and, and, and to uh, provide for the family. Okay, my dad wasn't, my dad, as I grew up, he was my homeboy. I wasn't used to opening up a Bible, but I was used to opening up an eight ball. And I put all of that away so that I could now uh, help other people because I know one thing today, right? I might not know everything about scripture. I might not know everything about church history. I might not know every single thing, but I know one thing is that God changed my life. He picked me up off of the dirt from where I was at. He, he picked me up from a place of despairing of life. I did not care to live. And for that reason, I can stand up here and say this word is real. Amen. And you don't need a preacher to expound this word so that this word can convert your life. All you need is a heart that is willing. Because in my infancy in this, and I'm a babe in this, but I've known many men of God who have been in it in years that can quote you any scripture. They can tell you everything about hermeneutics. But I know one thing, they have not the spirit of God residing in them. And people can tell. 
People can tell. And I don't go out pointing fingers. As a matter of fact, I'll keep my mouth shut. Okay, I hear what you're saying and all that's good. But I know one thing. God has changed me because I don't talk the way that I used to talk. I don't, I don't think the way that I used to think. Right? I don't move. I don't act the way that I used to do. But I have been transformed. What this word says, it's been stamped. It's in my heart. And that's what matters at the end of the day. That's what's going to make us pursue after God. Now I know it's authentic. He's changed me. I'm going to run after him. I'm going to run after this word. Why? Because he has become real to you at that point in life. Right? That's all that matters at the end of the day. That's why we come to know more about this God who transforms people's lives. I want to know more. God, help me to explain it better, Lord. Help me, God, because we can minister all day for 24 hours and they, without the Spirit of God, they're still not going to come. And so we have to be dependent upon Him. We have to have that experiential life with God. Now, some people are going to call it mystical, call it whatever you want. I call it, uh, this is God. This is life with God. I know what mystical is. And, um, I mean, if that's what people see it, then you know, have at it. Right. But I know what God's done. I know how God operates. And it is this word that we can trust. Now we have questions here for personal application. And all these questions, right, go home and, and, and take them with you to work and, and, and read them and say, is this is this what's going on in my life? Answer them amongst yourself. Answer, answer them before God. The third question says Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and members of other cults have claimed present-day revelations from God that they count equal to the Bible in authority. So what reasons can you give to indicate the falsity of those claims? Can you? Do you have a reason to give for the fal falsity? For example, the Mormons, they said that uh, Joseph Smith, I said it right, right? Okay, he received a revelation from the angel Moroni. He was asleep. He had a dream. An angel came, brought him some golden tablets. Here, this is another revelation you have here. So then he takes it, he runs with it, and now you have the Mormon doctrine, the Mormon belief. And I always ask him, but wait a minute. Now, he was around the 1800s, 1700s, whenever, okay, I'm probably going to be wrong on that. But the Apostle Paul was way before, and he wrote to the Galatians and said that if another person, if an angel, if even myself comes with any other doctrine, let that man or angel or person, let him be anathema. Let them be damned to hell is what the word means. So who's right, Paul or this angel Moroni or Joseph Smith? See, when we know that, no, get, take your golden tablets and take them somewhere else. Go sell them at a pawn shop, but they ain't real to me. This is real, right? That's how we know that's a false doctrine. The Jehovah's Witness is a false doctrine. Now, again, uh, we would want to try to pull them in rather than push them away. But see, if we're, if, if we're not knowledgeable in any of these things, they'll sweep us under the rug. They'll toss us around like a rag doll. And so I think we can all agree today, right? We don't worship the same God, do we? Do we pray to the same God? No. 
No, there's only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, Adonai, right? That's him. That's the one that we serve. And so the scripture, the uh, memory passage, again, it's going to be Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. I don't know how many of you uh, read it throughout this week. It was the one from last week saying that God spoke to us, right, in various ways through the prophets in the Old Testament. But in these days, it's through his son. I mean, this, this word, it's, we need it. We need it like the breath that we, that we take. We need it uh, like every heartbeat. It's going to equip us. It's going to keep us from uh, deteriorating, from going back to the old way. And of course, we have a hymn this week. And this week we have a hymn from a man named William Walsham Howe. And he wrote this hymn in 1867. And the name of this hymn is O Word of God Incarnate. Because that's what we're talking about is the Word of God. And it goes like this. O Word of God Incarnate. O Wisdom from on high. O Truth unchanged, unchanging. O Light of our dark sky. We praise thee for the radiance that from the hollowed page, a lantern to our footsteps shines on from age to age. The church from her dear master received the gift divine and still that light she lifted over all the earth to shine. It is the golden casket where gems of truth are stored. It is the uh, heaven drawn picture of Christ, the living word. It floateth like a banner before God's host unfurled. It shineth like a beacon above the darkling world. It is the chart and compass that over life's surging sea, mid mists and rocks and quicksands, still guides, O Christ, to thee. O make thy church, dear Savior, a lamp of purest gold, to bear before the nations thy true light as of old. O teach thy wandering pilgrims by this their path to trace till clouds and darkness ended they see thee face to face. The end result of everything that we're doing is to gaze into the eyes of Jesus Christ. We, we sang that song last week. That's one thing I desire is to gaze into the eyes of Jesus Christ. That's what we're in Christianity for. Not for blessings, though I like blessings and they do come. Or any other thing but for Jesus Christ and Him alone. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in love with the hearts of the old men and women of God. It was just so pure for God and only God. Now, I love modern worship and I love a lot of modern preachers and they're good and everything. But just the heart that you see in these people, the dependency upon God in every single area of their life, 
the dependency upon uh, the husband, the man to lead the family and the children. But then you begin to see, yeah, they, they, those, those kids, they were well, they acted right. Why? Because they had the word of God instilled upon them and morals and ethics and, and you name it, but begin to destroy the family and the whole world is going to come tumbling down. And unfortunately, that's where we're at today. This world is just tumbling and it's crumbling and a lot of people are going with it. So just a quick recap, right? The canon, a list of all books that belong in the Bible. Scripture primarily records God's great acts and redemptive history. Primarily apostles given the ability from the Holy Spirit to record the words and deeds of Jesus and record and interpret them rightly. The 39th Paschal letter of Athanasius and the Council of Carthage agree on our present day canon. There is no need for more words of scripture after the New Testament due to finality to the revelation of God in Christ. We learned about the Apocrypha, that they're merely human words, not God-breathed like scripture. And our confidence of the correctness of our canon is on the faithfulness of God. Now, in all of this, next week, we will be getting into the authority, the clarity, the necessity, and the sufficiency of Scripture, the characteristics of Scripture. This is where now we're going to start getting some formation into it. And then from there, we move on to the doctrine of God. This is who God is. And it's going to get more and more important as we dress it all up. Jesus, we recognize you as the Word incarnate. We know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, God. That is you, Jesus. We recognize that. God, we know that we can trust in your faithfulness, that what we have today is everything that we need to be able to come to salvation, to come to true belief, and to live a life in godliness a life that is pleasing to you, a life that glorifies you, God. I think sometimes the only problem is, is that we fail to either read it, and if we do, we fail to apply it in our lives. But God, would you give us the full knowledge and understanding that when we do that, we're being rebellious and disobedient. God, would you cause it to have us lose sleep at night until we do something about it? Even if that means days without sleep, God. Would you cause it to uh, make us not even able to eat until we're able to do something about it, God? Father, we ask you to, to poke and prod our hearts. Pierce them, God. That we would be attentive to your words and that we would be obedient and apply them in our lives. We, we need you, Father. We need you. Yes, we do. We're prone to wander. We fail. We make a mess. That is why we need you, Father. We're in desperate need for you, God. Let that be the cry of our hearts, the desperation. Jesus, I need you, Lord. And our trust is in you, God, that you make all things new, Father. We don't have to worry about what it looks like or how or when, but we just have to trust in you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity, God, and, and Lord, I just pray that you, you, by your spirit, God, that you would cause this that we just went over to bear fruit in the hearts of the hearers, God. 
You give them the understanding, Father. Even if I'm not able to relay it uh, as great, God, you have the ability to give them the understanding, to give them a passion, Lord, and to cause them to pursue. 